Everyone calls a very famous parable in Luke 15. They call it the parable of the prodigal son. I don't like that title. I like to call it the parable of the prodigal sons. In other words, dad had to come off the porch for both boys. When I come to this parable, I do not like the title of the parable of the sower. I think it should be called the parable of the ground types. It has very little to do with the sower, but it has more to do with the ground types. So with that being said, what I'd like to do is I want to give you a little reminder. As we view this parable, we view it from the lens of total depravity. Amen? If we did not believe in total depravity, we would view it in one aspect. But if we do believe in total depravity, it forces us to think at it in a completely other mindset. Our fourth article of faith, this is Adam, though created in the image of his maker, who pronounced him very good, did of his own volition willfully transgressed the laws of God and as a consequence became a fallen and totally depraved creature and all mankind with him. That's all fine and dandy. That's not scripture. That's our church covenant. Amen? So give me book, chapter, and verse. Someone. Amen? So what I'd like to do is I go to it and here's 12. All right? John 3.3 3 says that a man that God hasn't got to cannot see. John 6.44 says a man that God hasn't gotten to cannot come to God. 8.47 says a man that God hasn't worked on cannot hear. John 10.26 says he cannot believe. John 15.14 says a man that God hasn't worked in cannot bear fruit. A God, someone that God hasn't worked cannot understand. Romans 3.11, they cannot seek God. Romans 3.12 says they cannot do good. Romans 8, 7 says he cannot be subject to God. 8, 8 says he cannot please God. And my personal favorite, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says he cannot know God or the things of God or anything spiritual. They are foolishness unto him. And I got to admit, 12 is a stretch. I'm kind of analytical that way. 11 just doesn't sit well with me. So I grabbed an Old Testament one and says, Jeremiah 13, 23 says, a man cannot change his own skin. I want to put in there, he can't change his own gender, but that's another sermon for another time. Okay? But here's my 11. I'll give you a couple of them. I don't mean to preach on total depravity today, but just to show you. First one on our list, John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, this is Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Someone that doesn't have God in him cannot see the kingdom of God. A person that is dead alien sinner cannot see. Okay? Second witness, John 6, 44, the next one. And again, these are only in the orders they show up in script in the New Testament. John 6, 44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Natural man will not come to God. God has to draw him. And it's not a drawing as in a wooing. It's a drawing like taking water out of a whale or a sword out of a sheath. There is a passive force there. Okay? And it's really interesting. I've got a good preacher friend in um, Kentucky, Jeff Winfrey. Most of you know him. And I heard him preach this sermon one time. And you know what he did? He had nearly, for every cannot, he had a will not. Let me show you. 
John 5.40, and he will not come to me that you might have life. So just about every one of these that says you cannot, it said you will not even if you could. It's kind of like the double thumbprint on there, right? Okay, let me do maybe one more. John 8.47, he that is of God heareth God's word, ye therefore hear him not because ye are not of God. God needs to be inside you to hear him. Now, I'm not talking about if someone came up to me and started speaking Chinese, we got water, I'm sorry, we got sound waves hitting my eardrums, I can hear those, but it's the hearing that includes comprehension and understanding. That language means nothing to me. This is what it's talking about here. Without God in you, those words are like Chinese, they make no sense. Okay? John 10, 26, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep as I said unto you. Notice you got to be a sheep to believe. You don't believe to become a sheep. Notice the language here. And I told you I got to go to my personal favorite. I'm not going to do all 12 of these. But my favorite over there is in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the gospel, the word of God, is just water off a duck's back unless God has arrived first. That's what this church stands on. Okay, with that foundation being laid, what I'd like to do is I want to go to the parable of the ground types or the parable of the sower. Okay, we good so far? Number one, the parable is told in three accounts. You can find it in... Mark 13, 2 through 23. You can find it in Mark 4. I said Matthew 13. I'm sorry. I, I said it wrong. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew it was wrong. Matthew 13, 2 through 3. Mark 4, 2 through 3. And Luke 8, 4 through 15. Now, I got to admit, the renditions given by Matthew and Mark are really, really similar. Luke puts some twists in there that are quite a bit different than the other two. Okay? So, in order to get a full, robust perspective of this parable, I would encourage you to read all three accounts, okay? So, what I'm going to do is talk to you about these six ground types. Now, most people say there's three that are not good or bad ground types or non-fruit-bearing ground types, and one is the wayside. That is kind of like the hard pan, that tractors and, 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 and horses have stomped and, and made it so hard that you can't grow anything on. The second one is stony ground. You can picture a field with a bunch of rocks in it. I picture Ireland. I don't know why, but that's kind of my focus. And the last one is thorny ground. That's my front yard. I just try to keep them real low so it looks green and nice. After a couple days, those weeds pop up faster than the grass and they're irritating, but that's the way it is. Okay, thorny ground. And then here's where I differ from a lot of people. Most people say there's a good ground, but I think there's three good grounds. There's a good ground that produces 30-fold. There's a good ground that produces 60-fold. And there's a good ground that produces 100-fold. Is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference. Okay, and we'll talk about that as we go forward. All right. So let's go to the first one, the wayside ground. 
And again, you're going to find this in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And I'm going to put them side by side and let you look at them. First of all, I told you Matthew and Mark's accounts are pretty close. Basically, it says, it hit the hard pan and the fowls devoured the seed. That's in both Matthew and Mark's account. But in Luke's account, it's just got a little more information. It says that it was trodden down and the fowls devoured the seed. So Luke gives us a little information that there's been a lot of traffic on it. Okay? <clears throat> Disciples saw this and they said, Lord, what's this mean? And he explained to them. And the record of the explanation is in three different places. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <clears throat> Let's read it. Matthew 13, 19. This is what it says about the hard pan, the wayside ground. It says, they hear, but they don't understand. To me, that kind of sounds like the Chinese, right? Right there, maybe? Yes? But it says, Satan snatches that which was sown in the heart. It says, the seed went into the heart. Now, wait a second. When I go to Ezekiel 33, there's fleshy hearts and there's stony hearts. Can seed go into a stone? I don't think so. It's going into flesh. Let's keep on going. Mark's account is pretty much the same. Mark 4.15, they hear Satan immediately taketh that which was sown in the heart. Satan, what's the urgency? If it's a dead alien sinner and it can't do him any good, why are you hurrying? Right? It's like if I put $100 in a corpse at the funeral home. I said, I got to get back. He might spend the money. Right? I better hurry. Isn't that silly? That's what it is. Satan, what's the urgency? And then fight. look at Luke's though. Here's the urgency. Luke says, here, the devil taketh away the word out of the house, lest they should believe and be saved. He's worried about them believing and saving. We just read that a dead alien sinner cannot believe or be saved. But Satan knows that this is a possibility. And we've got to hurry up and get there. Okay. You think, what's the big deal? All right, this is, this is where I'm coming from. There are three levels of knowledge. Yes? There is a level simply to understand a thing. Okay, I get it. There is a level to understand a thing and try to, to teach it to someone else. And there's a third level to understand a thing and debate it. Because when you debate it, not only do you need to know your position, you need to know the other position too. I try to strive for the third position. I can understand why an Arminian that doesn't believe in total depravity would say this is a non-elect child of God. I get it. I can understand the logic. But what I cannot understand is how a person that believes in total depravity could say that's a non-elect child of God. It absolutely blows my mind. I've read Spurgeon, I've read the Reformists, I've read the Puritans. I haven't seen a single explanation that explains how that could be. I just don't get it. Okay, let's get really, really practical. Here we are sitting in the year 2022 for a couple more weeks. Can you believe it? For a couple more weeks. And we're sitting here and we're looking at this parable And what's the lesson for you? Is the lesson for you is 
Heart pan. That's a dead alien sinner, not child of God. Don't need to worry about it. Or is it a you? Do you have any traffic in your light that you need to cut out? Amen? Do you have any soil that you might need to run some discs over? Do you have any soil? After the discs, do you have any clumps that need to be busted up? And I think, yeah. Well, what's the comparable thing to the discs? How about fasting and praying and singing and washing feet? Is that going to bust you up? So is the lesson for us to sit back in a self-righteous way? No. The lesson is to hold up and where do we have hard pan? It's funny. And I'm going to show you a couple of Bible examples of hard pan. You know, Brother Danny asked me a question and I was telling him a story. He said something about the woke series that he really enjoyed it. And I told him that on sermon audio... I can watch who's, who's listening to my sermons. And there's a geographic area of the country that is very, very blue. And I was getting a good following until the Woke series. Psh, it went down. And I said, not a child of God. Or maybe there's an area of their life that's Needs, the traffic needs to come down. Amen. Amen? Or maybe there's an area of the life that the discs need to be run over. My guess is my doctrine is not very suitable to a feminist. They're not going to like what gets preached from this. I'm not going to say not child of God. Or we're going to work at them and think maybe they got some traffic that needs to be cut off. Maybe there's some discs that need to be run over their soil. The problem is, is I'm not very good at running discs because when I do it, there's carnage. We'll let God do the running over the discs. Amen? So, what's the lesson? I look at this and I'm thinking, you know what? That's not a dead alien sinner. That's me. I can be the wayside. I've got areas in my life where I need to cut out the world. I need to cut out the sin. I need to cut out the lust. I got areas in my life where I got to fast and I need to cut up some sin and I need to clump that up and I need to get on my knees and I need to wash some feet and I need to move forward. And I got some preaching that's like water off a duck's back even though it's God's word. Okay? So, if you're convicted on the wayside, that's the least productive of the three ground types. So, I don't think this is an eternal passage. I think this is a passage about conversion. I think it's a passage about turning towards God. I think it's a passage about me putting down sin, saying that sin is wrong and I need to turn towards God and move. And sometimes I've got to cut out the traffic, I've got to run the disc and break up the clumps. That's what it says to me. Okay? If you want a couple Bible examples, unregenerate man's heart is made of stone. I don't think the word can be sown in a stone. 
Why? Because there is a possibility that the word of God would cause belief or some kind of salvation. All right, two people. First one is Saul. Saul started off fantastic. He was a man's man. He was God's man. He was Samuel's man. He started off, he was humble. He was not wanting the power. He was showing great forgiveness. He was showing jealousy toward the Lord. He was small in his own eyes. And what happened? He got full of himself. Amen? Saul needed some discs to be run over his pride. Saul needed some clumps to be broken up. And the problem is, is every time someone approached him and tried to do that, including his own son, he struck back and he struck back hard. Okay? I think Nebuchadnezzar could be an example. I like Saul better, but Nebuchadnezzar's okay. When you read about his account in Daniel 2, 47 and 49, there was times in his law where he in his life where he just praised the Lord. And he says, Wow, what, what your God has done, that is nothing to compare our pagan gods. And I'm thinking, Nebuchadnezzar, what's going on? And then I look at this thing, and then all of a sudden, a couple of verses later, he's angry. He let anger trodden down his own heart. Now, it's funny. I laugh. And I've been praying this since I got converted. Every January, every State of the Union Union address by our president, you know what my prayer is? That he would up there be delivering it, and little feathers would start popping out of the sleeves of his heart. I do. I pray that. Yeah. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I'll talk to you about it later, okay? But that's my prayer. I'm praying for it. If he can do it to Nebuchadnezzar, he can do it to a Republican or a Democrat. Amen? Okay. All right. Ground type number two, stony ground. Got five more ground types, and I'm 25 after. Okay. Stony ground. Uh, again, it's recorded in all three passages. It's in Matthew 13, 5 and 6, Mark 4, 5 and 6. Basically, it said it sprung up. There was some seed and it sprung up. Okay? There was no depth. It was scorched by the sun. It had no root and it withered. Basically, that's what all three accounts give it. Let's go to Jesus Christ's explanation. In Matthew 13, 20 through 21, it says they heard and they received with joy. I go, whoa, wait a second. Dead alien sinners here, and they don't receive God's word with joy. Matter of fact, it makes them mad. They hate the light. They like the darkness. They reject it. They hate it. They despise it. They want to shut it off. And here's some soil that, that, that received it with joy. Notice what else it says. It says they, they did, they endured for a short time, but then tribulation and persecution offended them and they walked away. Mark's account's basically the same. Look what it says in Luke. Luke's the spoiler. They heard it, they received it with joy, and it says they believed for a while, but wait a second. Total depravity says... Dead alien sinners can't believe, and they believed. How does that work? 
Well, that was just fake belief. That's not what it says. It says it wasn't fake belief, it was short belief. It's life. It's life. And they fell away during a time of temptation. Okay? What does total depravity say? Unregenerate man is dead. It cannot hear, it cannot receive God's word with joy, and it cannot believe, but this one believed. So I go back. What's the lesson for us? Someone that believed for a while and then faded away? Someone that showed excitement in their teens and then maybe became a drug addict in the 30s and 40s? If I believed this doctrine and said all those people are hellbound, that would give me no hope. But you know what? I see people like that. Guys, we can't have one doctrine on Saturday and Wednesday night and another doctrine at funerals. I want to teach the same message all the way through. It's hope. And look at this. Yep. Last fall, I don't know if you remember, this is when Randy was here and he asked me to do those Sunday night meetings and I picked all those people in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And my goal is that I'm working with a brother and another partner about writing a book on those eight people that I did. Did you know this parable was going to be my last chapter? When I look, Jeff and Samson and Barak and Jacob and all those people, their lives were up and down and up and down. This was going to be the last chapter. All those people written in Hebrews 11. You know what? There was times in their life when they were stony ground. There was times in their life when stones got in. And you know what? Made them shallow and they faded away. And there was times when thorns got up and grew up. And they put their machete down. They lost their machete. They stopped hacking away. And it choked them out. So what's the lesson for you and I? Is the lesson for us to stand back and say, Oh, did it the center? Heck with them. Or is it to hold up a mirror and saying, where's my shallow spots? What offends me? I think, no, this is a message to God's saints here on earth that can hear and understand and get closer to the Lord. Okay. Examples of stony people. They're not really stony people. They're grounds with stony hearts. Or not, no, grounds with stones in the, in the ground. Okay? First ones I want to go to is there was a group of disciples that were following Jesus for a little while. This is recorded in John 6, 60 through 66. These disciples followed Jesus gladly for a while. But then all of a sudden they preached a doctrine on the sonship. And they said, whoa, that's pretty hard. We're done. We're out of here. But they believed for a while. They preached for a while. They baptized for a while. But then there was a point where they said, no, we're done. And then I want to go down to the church at Galatia. You know what it's written to? It's written to the saints at Galatia. It's not written to the dead alien sinners in Galatia church. These were people who professed Christ. These were people who got baptized. They joined themselves to a local church. <laughs> and there it was. The church of Galatia gladly received Jesus' doctrine, but their roots were shallow. So we're, we're, we're looking at this hard pan. I'm sorry, I'm looking at Sister, Sister Gwen and Sister Phil. I've got to tell this story, okay? Okay, there, there's, there's, I've got to tell a story about Brother Aubrey, okay? I love Brother Aubrey. And there was a time at the end of his life where 
Um, he, he spent a lot of time in hospitals, and I'd go up there, and I'd just love to sit there and talk to him, and I'd ask him question after question. I'd ask him about what his dad did during the Depression, and we'd just keep on going right forward. And I remember I had this conversation with him. I said, Aubrey, I says, you've never been baptized. And I says, I've watched you for about five years sit there and just grip that pew in front of you with white knuckles. I says, what's holding you back? And he says, I don't know. He said, I don't know. And he says, you know what? My mom was pregnant with me when she got baptized. Does that count? And I says, no, I don't think that counts. <laughs> and he laughed. And he says, no, nah, I didn't think it did count either. But, but here's a brother I love. I did him. And, and in so many ways he was loving and he was giving. But there was something about that baptism that he just couldn't surrender to. Am I going to go dead alien center? No, not at all. Amen? Okay, so here's this church at Galatia. They got these members. They get the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're so excited about it. And some Yahoo comes along and tells them another gospel, and they fall for it. Lickety split. Dead alien sinners. No, their roots were shallow. That's all it was. They had shallow roots. Okay, number three. <laughs> You're saying, Brother Dog, I can't wait to get to the good ground. I'm tired of this ugly, this, this other ground. Thorny ground, okay? Again, the account's given in three places, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And again, all of them basically said they sprung up. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. To me, when there's a seed and there's a shoot out of it, that's life. You said, no, the life isn't to the fruit. Okay, we'll get there. I disagree, but I'll go with this. Okay, so it got the throws. The thorns grew up. It choked out good plants. It yielded no fruit. Okay, so, so let's go to Jesus' explanation. And I want to go, it says, chapter, 20, or chapter 22, Matthew 13, 22, it says, they hear, but for the cares of the world and its riches, it chokes them for unfruitful. But notice what it says in Luke's account. Luke spoils everything again. Luke 8, 14, it says they heard they were choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures, and no fruit to perfection. You know what that means? There was a shoot. There was a blossom. There was a bud. There was an apple. It grew, but it never got red. It never, it had a fruit, but it never got ripe. Can dead alien sinners produce fruit, even green fruit? And the answer is no, it's dead. Perfection means maturity, okay? When, in Ephesians 4, it says he would make you perfect. No, Paul's not going to make you perfect with the word. He's going to make you mature. He's going to equip you, Okay? Unregenerate man is dead. He cannot hear. He cannot generate even fruit, even a start of a fruit. That's why he's dead. Okay? There's a couple, there's, 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 there's a lot of these folks in the Bible. I think Solomon was one of these characters. You know what choked him out? 
Women, a thousand wives. I don't think they choked them out, they suffocated them, right? Amen? In 1 Kings 11, 2 through 4, Solomon wives choked him. Boy, did he have a heart that was tender towards the Lord. He says, I'll give you anything you want. And he says, I just want a little wisdom so I can judge your children in a godly way. God was so pleased with him. But what happened? Just too much wealth, too much success, too much prosperity, too many women. A thousand women. There had to be someone he didn't even know. He didn't even know their name, let alone their kids' names. Amen? It choked them out. John 12, 42, I think we talked about these Jewish elders just a couple weeks ago. Here's with some people that believe Jesus, but it says they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So what did they do? Is they said, no, we're not going to follow Jesus. I know he's the Messiah. He's the real, he's the real deal. But if we do, we're going to lose our preaching appointments and we're not going to follow him. You know what? It, it got choked out. They let men choke him out. And then 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas was a man that was choked out by worldly pressures. He was a, uh, uh, an apprentice to Paul, and he preached for a little while, and he did some baptizing, and he did some you know, church planning, but there was a point where all of a sudden the church uh, wasn't as important as uh, building his bank account, and he let worldly pleasures and those kind of things kind of get in the way, and he kind of faded away. Y'all, what's the lesson for us? Sit back on our high horses and say, dead alien sinner, they're going to hell. Or, with choking us out. There's a message I preach at the rescue mission. And I preach it, when I go, I make sure I preach this once a year. And I, it's, it's, it's called the window box. And I got a picture of a window box, and in the window box I got a kudzu vine, and I got a tomato plant. Right? And I tell them their job is to take out a machete and cut down that kudzu every single day. Because to take a couple days off is to lose. And then I talk about the tomato plant. And you got to water it, and you got to fertilize it, you got to pick the bugs off of it. You got to clear whatever's the over, overhang so it gets some sunlight. And you got to do that. But every single day is to cut back that horizontal. And you think, Brother Don, that sounds like a silly one. No, there is that lesson in, in every single church epistle. It says, Put away the old man, put on the new maid. It says, crucify your flesh. It says, mortify your deeds. You know what that is? It's a machete whacking away at the kudzu vine. Is that for dead alien sinners? No, that's for church members. I found that lesson taught in every single one of Paul's church epistles. People that confessed Christ, that got baptized, that were members of the local churches, that were attending local churches. And he says, you know what? You got to look out for the weeds. Dead alien center, or for you and I. Okay? So, same thing. All right. So, finally, let's get off those three backgrounds. Let's start rejoicing. Does God really preach 
multi-level fruit bearing. Right? That sounds capitalistic to me. Amen? Well, the answer is yes, he does. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's go to the parable of the pounds. In the parable of the pounds, the Lord went away and he had 10 pounds and he gave each pound to 10 different people. And if you remember, eight of them did nothing. One of them gained five and the other one gained 10. And what did he say to the first eight? He says, the least you could have done is got usury, right? So in my mind, I'm going usury is 30-fold. The guy that gained five, that's five-fold. And the guy that got 10, that's 100-fold. That's an example. And the question I have for you is what makes the difference? Do you think there's a difference in the activity of someone that's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold? And I said, you betcha. We can do things to make our, we can be profitable, but we can do things to make us less profitable, and we can do things that increase our spiritual maturity and growth. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the hall of faith. This is talking about Moses. There's about four or five entries for Moses, but I love this because it shows his growth and maturity. One of the first entries about Moses, he exercised faith, and you know who he saved? Himself. And then the next passage, he exercised some faith, and he saved another person. And then we look at the final entry at the Red Sea, and he exercised some faith, and he saved a whole nation. What if I make this parable? When he exercised the faith to save himself, that's like a 30-fold. When all of a sudden he started saving other people, that was a 60-fold. And to save a whole nation, that's a 100-fold. What happened? He grew. He got to know God better. He started putting away more sin. He counted on God more, and he became more and more prosperous. Here's the third one. I think I've shared this with you before. One day I was looking up the love and I noticed it was uh, Romans, no, 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 it was James 5 and 8, I think. The royal law. I think that's joke. Is that right? 5, 8? I think it is. The royal law. Love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm going to call that a 30-fold. Yeah? Love thy neighbor as thyself. And I keep on saying, wow, that's pretty hard because I love myself quite a bit. But that's a 30-fold. And then I go to Philippians 2, and guess what it says? Love thy neighbor better than thyself. I go, oh, man, I love myself quite a bit. I got to love my neighbor even better than I love myself? Yep. I call that a 60-fold. Then I go to John 13, somewhere around verse 34, 35. It says, love thy neighbor as Christ love. Oh man, that's a hundredfold, right? Right? Am I going to love of Christ if I can't get to the first one first? So the thirtyfold, the sixtyfold, the hundredfold? See, these levels of growth and spirituality, what's the difference? What makes the difference? We're going to talk about that in a second. I am running out of time. Same thing for forgiveness. Might we forgive thy neighbor? I call that a thirtyfold. Forgive my neighbor, that's a thirtyfold? Well, what's 60-fold? Well, forgive him 490 times. That's pretty lot. What comes after that? Forgive as Christ forgave. Man, you've just gone over the top. Amen? All right. Okay, this is the end. Got some Proverbs for you because we're running out of time. 
These are my four reap and sow passages. It says, reap if you sow. In other words, if I go out into my garden, I didn't plant seed, and I go out there in two months and I don't see any fruit, I'm going to go, oh man, I don't have any fruit. Well, you got to put seeds in the ground to get fruit, right? So you reap if you sow. It says, reap after you sow. You know what that means? I got to plant, and I got to wait two months, and then maybe there'll be some fruit there for me. Amen? I got to wait. I can't start in 20. 25 and have the house my parents did at 50. Sometimes I got to start at a starter home and then I get you reap after you sow. Amen? Can't have it now. You reap what you sow. If I plant beans, I'm going to get beans. If I plant peas, I'm going to get peas. If I plant spiritual things, I'm going to get spiritual things. If I plant sin, I'm going to get sinful things. You reap what you sow. But here's the blessing. You reap more than you sow. I put one kernel of corn in the ground. And what comes out? A corn shoot with several ears. And each year is packed. I reap more than I sow. Okay? So if we can do things that would help us. Well, how does that work? Let me get practical on you. And I got to admit, I am not a farmer. But from farming illustration, let's suppose I go into my field and I put seed in there. What'll help? Well, I gotta continue to water it. I gotta stay on top of the weeds. I need to get after the locusts and the caterpillars. I need to promote the butterflies and the earthworms. I need to fence out the rabbits and the deer. I need to prune unwanted stems. You know, I guess the country people down in Georgia used to call those suckers. You know, yeah. some country people are nodding. Other people go, what's he talking about? Okay, so you got a plant, right? And you got this limb, and it's producing fruit, and you got this other limb that's not producing anything. It's just a shoot that's, you, you cut it off. And the reason why you cut it off, it's sucking the energy that can go up to the one with the fruit. So you're, you're pruning. You clear the limbs that are overhead that might block the sky or the sun. And then you get on your knees and pray. That'll help you be a fruitful farmer. Well, you know, spiritual life is pretty much the same thing. So, what's that look like? Okay. Here's some sure causes of bankruptcy, and I'm talking about spiritual bankruptcy. Okay? And this is real bankruptcy. It's not, what's the thing that's going to hurt you financially? Strange women and wickedness. It's just sin. You're, you're laughing, Brother James, but this is God talking to his son. And he says, run, run. I can taste. I know I'm going over, oh well. I was teaching many years ago. And uh, I was teaching in a county. And my children, Graham and Lincoln and Reed, were in this school. And I was teaching at this school in the county. And Deborah got pregnant again. And it got real hard for her to drop off the kids and, 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 you know, at school. So what I did is I had them transferred to my school, okay? 
So they start coming to my school so they could jump in the car with me and they can go home with me and we can just save Deborah from when she had a little baby and another one on the way. So that's what we did. So I'm sitting there, and this is an eighth grade algebra class, and Graham comes walking in, and I got to teach my own son. And the first day he said, Dad, and everybody went, ah, ha, 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 and then from then on it was all over. But afterwards, there was this girl, and I'll not say her name, she locked her eyes on Graham, and she was zoned in. And I gave Graham the same advice. Run! Okay. <laughs> For a lot of different reasons. I said, run! Well, that's what this is talking about too. And that's what someone should have sold Solomon a long time ago. I don't care how pretty you were. I don't care how well-mannered they were. After number one, he should have been running. Okay? So that's what we need to do. And that'll, that'll choke us out. Okay, what's the difference between bankruptcy and being profitable? Proverbs 1, 3, and 5 says, hearing and receiving godly instruction. Proverbs 28, 28 says, eliminating wicked influences in your life. That's one way of turning you from the, the wayside, the stony, and the thorny, and get you into that 30-fold. Start doing those things, okay? I'm not talking about get you from being unregenerate to regenerate. I'm talking about making you profitable, then I go to number three, the difference between marginal and good. Okay, what's the difference between, you know, just 30-fold and 60-fold? Well, here's these ones. I like these principles. Proverbs 4, 4. There's an ox is in training and works in pairs. Well, what happens is, is, you know, you can have an ox out there and it can be plowing a field, or you can have two oxen, let them work side by side, and the nigh and the, the off ox, the older, the more experienced one and the younger one, they work side by side, there's training going on, there's strengths in pairs and they go forward and they look, and that's a way to increase profitability. Amen? Be trained. And also Proverbs thirteen eleven says, just work hard and work honest. The key there is work. And then finally, what's the difference between good and great? What's the difference between 60-fold and 100-fold? And the answer is, I don't know, because I don't think I ever got there. You know, talk about the six ground types. I say I've been all ground types sometimes in different areas of my life. I've got to take that back. I don't know if I've ever been that six ground type. Maybe one day. I'll be there for a day. What's the difference between good and great? Proverbs 9, 9 through 11, you've got to fear the Lord. But here's my favorite, Proverbs eleven twenty four. You got to scatter. The difference between good and great is to scatter, is to bless others. That'll make a difference. Bless others.